You got your Bible? Go ahead and get it over, open to Proverbs chapter 4. That's where we're going to start today. And then if you want to just go ahead and get ready, we're going to go from Proverbs 4 to Genesis, mostly Genesis chapter 2, but we'll be in Genesis chapter 1 a little bit. I, um, I, I, I actually, I just, I have, I won't, I'm just going to be up front about it because some of you are going to figure it out real quick. Um, today's message is basically what you heard in our lunch with the pastor on Thursday. Um, however, I make no apology for repeating it because uh, while I didn't intention, or intend to do this uh, this week, I just felt um, it, was, it was just the Lord kind of led me in that direction. So, so if, you, if you heard that, uh, Lunch with the Pastor, uh, you might be tempted to sort of tune out, but I would just encourage you not to do that because, number one, I will, I will preach it differently, not because I mean to, but just because that's how I do it accidentally, uh, but also because you may have missed something that the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to you the first time, and this time he's going he's gonna to make it clear to you. And if you didn't hear it, then hey, this is a new message. Praise the Lord for that. Has anybody ever done P90X? The entire thing. Put your hands down. I um, Brandon's like, I did it. I'm a man. That's what he's doing. So I did P90X uh, several years ago, as it's obviously several years ago. Um, really would benefit from doing it again, except you can't find any dumbbells for sale anywhere, and they're kind of necessary for it. Uh, but I did P90X a f- several years ago, and uh, I, I believe it was about 2016, and which is now officially several years ago, because anything more than three enters into the several category. You know, two is a couple, uh, three or four is a few, and then beyond that, several. That's how that works, in case you didn't know. I just made that up. But, um, so I did P90X, and I was in the middle of the program. It's a 90-day program. I was somewhere in the middle of it, probably around day 50-ish or whatever, and I had lost like 25 pounds already. I'm telling you, I, I, was, I was killing it in P90X. And like, when I first started the workouts, I couldn't even finish half of one, right? And then by the time, you know, halfway through, I was finishing most of the workouts. I was doing really well. I could do pull-ups. I was so happy for the fact that I could do like three pull-ups unassistedly. And with some of you who've never tried to do pull-ups, you think, wow, he could only do three. Go try it. Go give it a shot. And I'm not talking about those crazy kipping pull-ups where you swing yourself around like a wild person. I'm talking about you just hang there and pull yourself up, talking to you, CrossFit. Um, but anyway, my friend David calls me one day. He's like, hey, man, we need to go hiking. You live in East Tennessee. I live in East Tennessee. We're in the hiking capital of the United States of America, at least as far as I know, because this is where I live. And I'm like, yeah, bro, let's go hiking. And he says, all right, I got this trail. I've been to it once. It's part of the Appalachian Trail. And in fact, it's actually the most difficult southern segment of the Appalachian Trail. And and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I've been hiking before. I've never been that challenged. And I don't really understand how a hiking trail could be challenging. I'm like, okay, it's just a trail, right? What I failed to realize, though, is this trail was pretty much up a mountain, the entire trail. And at some points throughout the hike, I was like using my hands as if I was climbing a ladder. It was that steep. I think within 3.7 miles, we went up 1,700 feet. And then we have to come back down it. So that's really good on the knees, if you know what I'm saying. And so he's telling me about the trail, 
And I'm like, hey, man, I have been doing P90X. I got this. I am ready to go. And so I meet him over there, and we go hiking on this trail. It's, 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 if, you've ever, if you know anything about the AT, it's, it's the trail where you go up to Shuckstack Tower over in North Carolina, and there's a big fire tower at the top you can look at. It's really cool. It's real neat. Um, and about 10 minutes in, I mean literally 10 minutes in, I realized two and very, important, very important truths about my friend David. Me and David went to high school together. He lives real, real near here now. And um, I realized, number one, that he is in amazing physical shape. Like this, this cat is, is the most fit guy I have ever known. He doesn't look it, but he lives it. That's what I first realized about my friend David. The second thing I realized about my friend David is he does not give a, a care about the view at all. All he wants to do is get to the destination as quick as possible. And so he is, folk, like we head off, and he's, he's about 6'1", and I am not. And my legs are half as long as his, and so I'm having to walk twice as fast as him to keep up with him. And so about 10 minutes in, I realized that being P90X fit and being hiking the Appalachian Trail fit are two very, very, very different things. And while I could do 70 push-ups without stopping, I could not walk uphill for 10 minutes without nearly dying. Yeah. So have you ever been surprised by yourself is what I want to ask you today. Have you ever done something or said something and thought, my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Like maybe, maybe your kids did something since we've got the kids in the house today. Maybe they broke something. Maybe they did something. Maybe they, 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 they messed up something in the house. And then all of a sudden, something came out of you that you had forgotten about, that you honestly thought wasn't in there anymore. But all of a sudden, in that moment, it came welling up out inside of you and comes out your mouth before you realize what you've said. Has somebody ever cut you off in traffic and you realize all of a sudden, some of my old school church people will get this, and you realize all of a sudden that you were not nearly as sanctified as you thought you were? <laughs> have, you, have you ever been in a situation where the hard truth came to the surface that you weren't as spiritual as you thought you were or as saved as you thought you were, sanctified, mature? as you thought you were, or maybe there was something in your life before that you thought, hey man, that's been taken care of, that's been conquered, yet it still showed back up. And if that's ever been you, uh, you're in good company because the pastor of this church is the king of that happening too. Uh, just so I hear, that's the word on the street. So I want to ask you a, a question today and it's going to sort of... Um, sort of be the, the preface of this message and it's a very simple question. But it's a very important question. How are you doing? Yeah. How are you doing? You doing good? Okay. How are you doing really? You see, the 2020, and I don't want to, I'm almost tired of talking about it, right? And by almost, I mean a thousand percent tired of talking about it. But tons of challenges for all of us. And, and for a while, I thought that 2020 had changed me. But I've come to realize that 2020 and its challenges and the struggles and the hardships and the, the things that we all had to overcome, they didn't change me. They've changed the way I do some things. Like, for instance, this morning, as I preach, I have this side, I have this side, and then I have that side. Hey, Lifehouse in your house, congregation, thank you so much 
for being with us today. You know, it changed a lot of the way we do things. I carry one of these with me everywhere I go because of 2020. I, I, I can't go into a store and not notice the changes. I can't come to church and not notice the changes. And I'm not here today to provide commentary on uh, the changes of 2020, but, but, but for a while I thought 2020 changed me. But I've come to realize 2020 did not change me. 2020 revealed me to me. It showed me who I was under the surface. It showed me who I was when the pressure got tight. The real you is what comes out. And so in a moment when something happens and all of a sudden that word comes out or that phrase comes out or those thoughts come to the surface, the, the, what that's showing you is that deep down inside of you, there is still some of that that's still there. And so what I learned through the last year is that, that 2020, it didn't change me. It revealed me. It revealed my weaknesses. It revealed my false securities. It revealed the errors that I had in my way of thinking, living, and leading. And so with that thought in mind, how are you doing? It's January 31st. We're, we're one month in to, to 2021, the, you know, the year that everything goes back to normal, right? Yeah, right. So how are you doing? Are you doing fine? I asked a bunch of people this morning, how you doing? Doing good. Doing fine. Doing great. If I was doing any better, I'd take medicine for it. That's how good I'm doing. Some people say I'm blessed and highly favored. Even though that's true, you may not feel like that, though. How are you really doing? How are you? Not, how, not how's your job? Not how's your finances or your marriage or your kids? Those are great indicators of how you're doing. But they're not you. Maybe another way I could ask it is like, how's your soul? How's your heart? How's your mind? This is what Proverbs says in Proverbs 4. Verse 23, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In other words, what the, the writer of Proverbs is saying, you need to take care of the center of your being. You know, when we use the word heart, we don't actually mean the organ, of our, you know, the organ that we have in our chest. Although, you know, somebody could say, how's your heart? And, and, and they might be sincere, like, how are you doing? I knew a guy once who had had heart surgery, and I, I saw him one day, and he was eating a cheeseburger, and he poured a bunch of salt on it. And I was like, man, I was like, his name was Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, you probably shouldn't do that. He says, well, here's the deal. The burger's got the cholesterol that clogs my arteries, but the heart thins my blood, or the, the salt thins my blood, so I put them together, and I'm good to go. So, so, so if you're looking for some medical advice, I got you covered. Don't ask Tara in the back. I know what's up. I know how to keep those arteries clear. Now, when we talk about your heart, we're not talking about your cardiovascular health. We're talking about you. In the most deep sense of you, how are you doing? And so, so to sort of understand where we're going to go, we're going to go to the creation story in a moment. You have to understand that Jesus did not come just to save you from your sin. He came to restore you to who God wanted you to be before sin ever had any say-so in your life. Okay? So, so let me say that again because this is really important, not just for today's message, but for something you, you know, if you like write stuff down, maybe put it in your phone. Jesus didn't come just to save you from your sin. He came to restore you to who you were before sin ever had any say-so in your life. And so 
So that helps us understand that humanity before sin was exactly what God intended humanity to be. So in order to understand who we need to be, we need to go back to that story and study their lives and understand how they lived and what they did to have a healthy soul, a healthy heart, a healthy inner life. And the very first thing they did is that they were uh, that they received directly from God. They received from God. This is what it says in Genesis 2-7. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. They received their very life from God himself. It's so interesting to me that before God breathed his own breath into their uh, bodies that they were, what the Bible said, they were a form, but they were not alive. And so many of us today, and I'm talking to Christians today, I'm talking to men and women of God who are going to heaven, but they are not living like heaven can come to earth today. We are living in a form of what God wants us to have of how God wants us to live. But we are not living in the life that he wants us to have because we are not receiving. Let me use another word there. We are not depending on the breath, the life, the spirit of God to live in us, to live through us, to lead us, to empower us, to inspire us, to encourage us every single day of our lives. I need what he has. I need his presence. I need his word. I need his spirit. I need his life. And you and I, we cannot receive anything from him if we are not spending time with him. So let me ask you like a super basic but super important question. Are you spending time with the Lord? Not on Sunday. But every day. And I, I know, I get it. Like, like real life talk. There are days that get away from me. And before I know it, I have gone an entire day without spending time in his word and without spending time in his presence. Some of y'all are judging me like crazy right now. You need to back up off me. <laughs> you got your own problems. Don't you judge me? So I'm not preaching something to you that I have arrived and you need to figure out how to get where I am. I'm preaching to you as a father of three children who works a full-time job, who's doing his very best to lose the dad bod, to make a living, to take care of my family, and to have fun in the process. And I get it. Life gets busy. Life gets crazy. Schedules get full. But if you do not take time to spend with your heavenly father, before long, you will be a form without any life. So, how, so before we go any further, like if, if, if that relationship isn't flourishing, if it isn't growing, I can tell you without any further questions 
that this in here is not doing good. It might feel like it's doing good, but give it some circumstances that rise up against you. Give it some bad traffic one day. Give it some sick kids one day. Give it some problems at work one day. And all of a sudden, you will realize that what you thought was okay was not nearly as healthy as you thought it was. Because there's no relationship there. Or there's a lack of relationship there. So, so, so are you receiving from God? Are you, are you spending time with Him? Are you in relationship with Him? The, the second thing that we've got to do to have a healthy soul is not only do we want to receive from God, we have to, we have to rest in God. I'm going to read some scripture here. You guys okay with that? It doesn't matter if you're not, I'm going to do it anyway. We've got to, we've got to rest in God. So go to Genesis 1. You should, you, should, you should underline this in your Bible, those of you who are okay with underlining in your Bible. And if you're not okay with underlining in your Bible, you need to learn to be okay with that. Get over your OCD ways. Understand that the word of God has sustained itself for 2,000 plus years. It'll be okay if you write in your word. Anyway, Genesis chapter 1. So God created be, uh, human beings in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given you every green plant as food uh, for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals. Oh, I think I just repeated myself. No, I didn't. That scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all that he made and he said, or excuse me, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. And so now we're to the seventh day of creation. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. There's seven days of creation. There's not six, because on the seventh day, although God did not actively create anything, he passively created a day of rest. On the seventh day, God had finished his work in creation, so he rested from all his work. And he blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. And holy doesn't mean anything other than he, he declared it something to be separated from the rest, okay? Holy doesn't mean like it's super spiritual. It just means that it's different, specifically different for a specific purpose, okay? So he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from his work of creation. So on the sixth day, God created humanity. Follow my, follow my thought here. On the sixth day, you're trying. Okay, good. I appreciate you. On the sixth day, God created humanity. What did humanity do on the seventh day? Nothing. Now, some of you are going to fall into legalism real quick and start talking to me about keeping the Sabbath holy. And, and we could preach that. We could talk about that, not legalistically, but in freedom. Because God created the Sabbath to serve man, not man to serve the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said, right? Okay, he said, if one of your ox falls into a pit on the Sabbath, are you not going to go get it out? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, so we could talk about that. But, but what I'm more interested in talking about is the order of events that, that God, God ch chooses to allow humanity to fall in here. His last day of creation was the Sabbath when he created the Sabbath, which was the first day for humans, right? You okay? You follow me? Follow me. Don't, don't interrupt me this time. <laughs> it goes both ways. Some of y'all don't even know. God creates humans. God rests. Humans are created. Humans rest. The very first job humanity had was to rest in what God had done. 
I'm going to say it again. Because some of y'all, you really need this freedom in your life because you think everything depends on you. And you are fooling everybody and yourself. It doesn't. I, I say this with love, and, and, and hear my heart, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but if you disappeared off the planet today, the world would still go on. Now, it'd be really sad. I'm not saying it wouldn't be sad, but I am saying that for everybody else, to some degree, life would move on. And so what we do when we don't rest in God is we overemphasize our importance while underemphasizing his power. And a lot of us, because we refuse to rest in what God has done for us, we live under this idea that my life can only be good because I work so hard and do so much and try so hard to make it good. And then we miss out on all the good things God has for us. The very first job of Adam and Eve was not to name the animals or to, to govern the earth. The very first job of Adam and Eve was to rest in and enjoy all that God had done for them. God took the seventh day and he rested and Adam and Eve joined him in that rest. They didn't rest from what they had done and that's how we often view days of rest. I work really hard Monday through Friday. I rest Saturday or something like that. But I would submit to you that the way that, that is presented in the, in the creation story is that I do not rest from work. I rest to work. I don't rest from what I've done. I rest in what he's done. So therefore, after I have rested, I can then go out and do what he's called me to do. And that's kind of how God models it here in the creation story. We don't rest from what we've done. We rest in what he's done. And I just want to say this, like, God created Adam and Eve to enjoy life. He said, look at this garden. Look at all these trees. Look at all these animals. Look at all this gold. You go read the creation story. Gold and rivers. There's just gold everywhere, apparently. All these beautiful things to look at. But, Often we create this false theology that life is supposed to be not fun. But that's not true. Life is supposed to be enjoyed. I mean, like, I'm not saying it doesn't have its challenges. I'm not saying that it doesn't have its hardships. And I'm not saying that it doesn't have its very difficult seasons but as a general rule of thumb i could just quote jesus here in john 10 10 i've come to give you life and life more abundantly in other words i have come to give you not a form of life but a full life overflowing and the only way we can enjoy life the way god wants us to enjoy life is that if we receive from him and if we rest in him, some of y'all need to hear this. Jesus said in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And today, if you feel restless, it's because you think you're in control and you've forgotten that he's the one in control. 
So if you won't rest today, acknowledge him as the one who's got it figured out. So we're going to receive from God. We're going to rest in God. And this, this next one sounds like kind of a downer, honestly, but it's not. We're going to embrace restriction. We're going to embrace restriction. The Lord God warned them, and this is Genesis 2.16. He said, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, I've talked about this tree before, but just to give you a refresher, the first question that we need to ask when we read that is like, why did God put that stupid tree in the garden to begin with? And here's what I want you to also understand. It wasn't a mistake, and it wasn't bad. Remember, everything that he made was good, and that includes that tree. Okay? There's a reason for that tree being there. I think the very first and most profound and probably the, the, the reason that you need to know most is that love always has to be a choice. Because if love isn't a choice, it's not love. It's slavery. So if God did not give humanity a choice to disobey him, he would not have been created in sons and daughters. He would have created slaves. And God doesn't want slaves. So that's the first the most Profound reason why God, God put that tree there. I think the second one, though, is, is very important, too. Um, he wants you to understand that boundaries and restrictions are good for your soul. Let me say it like this. I don't need everything I want, and you don't either. Like this morning, my alarm goes off. Your boy didn't want to get up. I, I did not want to get up. In fact, if I did what I wanted to do, I might very well still be in the bed. But that would not have been good, right? I don't need everything I want. Let me say, I, I, I would venture to say, I don't need just about everything I want. I don't need everything on my Amazon wish list. I could, I could buy it. I could pull my phone out right now. And I could go, I could buy myself those WeatherTech floor mats for my truck I've been looking at for two years since I bought that truck. And I still haven't bought them. I, 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 could, buy, I could buy that knife, that, that K-Bar knife that I've been looking at. It's been in my wish list since I had a wish list. Anybody know what a K-Bar knife is? Cool. You're my, you're my people. But I don't need everything I want. I could eat donuts every day. Hey, she got my back on that one. That's the first time that's happened. Usually it's incriminating stuff. But I don't. Now, yesterday I did. And it was a bad day. We had donuts, didn't we, yesterday? Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> but I don't eat them every day, and you don't either. Like, restrictions are good for you because you don't need everything you want because your wants are, don't have your best interest in mind, do they? If I bought everything I want, I would have so much debt, I wouldn't be able to pay any of my bills. If I ate everything I want, I wouldn't be able to walk through that door. And like, I mean that, like, like some of y'all are like, well, the boy's pretty big as it is. Trust me, I do not eat everything I want to eat. If I slept all I wanted to sleep, I would, I would never accomplish anything. Can I even tell you this? Like, sometimes I don't even want to prepare a sermon. 
Because it's hard work. Some of you are like, all, all you got to do is open your Bible and ask the Lord. You, you do that. <laughs> you might do it one week, but I guarantee you can't do it two weeks in a row. I don't need everything I want. And so God is, is teaching them, you've got, to, you've got to embrace restriction. And the longer I live, I, the more I realize that my no's carry so much more value in my life than my yeses. What I say no to, more times than not, is so much more important than what I say yes to. I love what one guy said. He was talking about priorities, and he was talking about, you know, the things in your life that you, you do and the things in your life that you make sure you take care of. And he said, in your life, you'll be able to do anything you want to do, but you will not be able to do everything you want to do. So we've got to receive from the Lord. We've got to rest in God. We've got to, um, we've got to embrace our restrictions, and we've got to accept your responsibility. This is what he said in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. So, I, I'm going to make some people upset right now. But I just want to bust a few bubbles. When you die, you do not turn into an angel. I don't know. I, don't, I, know, I know that It's a Wonderful Life is a great movie. But its theology is wrong. You don't turn into angels. Okay? As far as I know, somebody's going to get really upset with me here. You don't get wings. I know it. I mean, I'm not saying, maybe it's somewhere in the Bible that I've never read before. But as far as I know, you don't get wings. Now, you might be able to fly like Superman, but as far as I know, you don't get wings. And in and, and heaven, you, you don't just do nothing, okay? It's like, you don't get this mansion with a pool and all you do every day is like lay out and get tan and go swimming and eat donuts that don't count on your fitness pal calories. <laughs> like, you're going to do stuff, okay? And here's how I know that you're going to do stuff. It's before sin ever had any say-so in the lives of Adam and Eve, they had responsibilities to carry out. They had things to do. And so, so, and you and I, we have things to do, things that, that we have to do and things that we want to do and things that God has called us to do. Now, I put this one after resting in God because it's important to understand that your ability to accept the responsibilities that God has given you comes from your resting in Him. In other words, again, and I'll kind of repeat myself, I don't work I don't live from work, I, I, or excuse me, I don't rest from work, I rest, uh, excuse me, somebody help me out. I don't, I rest to work, yes. And so, so, one man said, he said, the opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's, it's purpose. So my responsibility flows from my rest. Now, I, I struggle with this one. Because of the way I grew up and the way I was spoken to by my father. No, I'm not trying to incriminate him. He was just, he was doing the best he knew how, right? Just like if you've got kids, you're doing the best you know how to do. When we, when we, when we put responsibility before rest, we live under the false assumption 
that my worth to God is only equal to my productivity for God. And let me just say this. If you never do another good thing for God, your worth to him will not decrease. If you spend every minute for the rest of your life doing everything in your power for God, your worth to him will not increase. I don't, I shouldn't say this because it's going to mess some things up. I don't love my kids more when they obey me. I like being around them more. (laughs) And they like being around me more. But they're my children. My love for them does not fluctuate based on their behavior or their productivity or their ability to obey me. My love for them is based on one factor alone. They're mine. Plain and simple. So your responsibility for God flows from your resting in Him. My worth to Him is never found in what I can accomplish for Him, but rather in my relationship to Him. And we've all got responsibilities, things that God has called us to do. And, and you've got purpose. Some of you don't know your purpose. But the reason you don't know your purpose is because you haven't been receiving from him, resting in him, and, and, and trusting him. You guys okay? I'm almost done. Say amen. 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 Number five, invest in intentional relationships. Invest in intentional relationships. You guys know what the first not good in the Bible was? Being alone. God saw. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who was just right for him. I love that phrase. I will make a helper who was just right for him. Now, I recognize that the relationship here is between Adam and Eve and we're talking about an intimate relationship. We're talking about a marriage relationship. But I want, you, I want to submit to you the idea that it's still a model for how relationships should function to some degree outside of even our marriage. He says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. And there's intentionality in that statement that God is going to make Eve and it's just going to be just right for him. And, 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 and I just want to submit to you the idea that we have to be, not, not that we should be, but that we have to be intentional and proactive in the forming of of fruitful relationships. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we know what that means. They were naked and unashamed, right? We know what's up with that statement. But this is going to be a hard transition, and somebody's going to giggle awkwardly when I say it. But the same principle with a different dynamic applies to friendships as well. Intentional friendships that are fruitful and then they multiply. To bless me, to bless you, and to bless others. I, I've had so many conversations, as a pastor, this gets said to me a lot. Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You'd be surprised. Like When people that I don't know find out I'm a pastor, that is within one of the top three things that usually get said to me. 
Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I don't go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You don't. You really don't. You, you could never darken the door of church again. And I fully believe that when your time comes to meet God, you will spend eternity in heaven with him. But I also submit that you're probably going to go there alone. But you won't do any good to help anybody else get there if you don't get involved with brothers and sisters in Christ, forming intentional and fruitful relationships that strengthen you and strengthen them so then you can go outside of these four walls into the world and show them that they're loved and highly valued by the way you live, by the way you talk, by the way you give, by the way you serve. I don't need you to go to heaven, but I need you to help me get other people to heaven. So if you want to be a selfish Christian, yeah, don't go to church. If you think your life is all about you, then yeah, don't go to church. Don't be involved in the body of Christ. Don't join a life group. But people, not only do you need people, but, but let, me, let me submit this thought to you as well. They need you. And we don't think about it like that, do we? We think that it's all about us. Oh, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. What if they need you in that church, though? What if they need your talent? What if they need your gifting? What if they need what God's put in you to help them reach people, to encourage them? Invest in intentional relationships. The first, not good, was not sin. It was isolation. Can I just tell you, it's impossible. I don't care what your argument is. You're wrong, and I'm right. It is impossible to be a healthy human in isolation. Look no further than the Lord's Prayer itself. What is the very first word? Our. This life has always been meant to be lived in relationship with other like-minded believers. Always. And I need you. And I know you don't want to hear it. You need me. I want to be a healthy person. I want you to be a healthy person. How's your relationship with him? Are you resting in him? Are you enjoying life? Like, are you enjoying life? If you're not enjoying life, I would submit to you that your problem is not your schedule, it's not your job, it's not your family, it's your soul. Now, you might want to blame everything else. You might want to blame your boss. You might want to blame your mom. You might want to blame your spouse. You might want to blame your church. But they're not your problem. You, 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 I don't know what language that was. You, you are your problem. Worship team, help me out. Lord knows I need it. I had, I, can I be transparent? A few months ago, on a few different occasions, I had a couple of friends ask me, how are you doing? You okay? Kind of like that. You know, like, like I want to I wanna, I wanna ask you this, but I also don't want to offend you. You know what I mean? Anybody ever do that? You all right? Everything okay? And, uh, and, and I, I, 
to be really honest with you, it was the first time anybody had asked me that in a long time. I think that during the pandemic, which I say during like it's over, it's not, but everybody became so inward focused. I know I did. You know, self-preservation, right? And so when somebody asked me, you doing all right? It kind of, it kind of shook me because I was like, I hadn't been asked that in a while because, you know, you've been taking care of yourself. And I was like, man, I'm not. Like, I'm just not. Like, I'm not happy. I'm struggling. I'm scared. But the worst part of them asking me if I was okay was the way it made me feel weak. Does that make any sense? Because I want to be this person. I really do. And, and I think that it, even so much so that I had to repent of this thought. But I want to be this person that's got it together. I want to be this person that when you look at my life, that you would say, that Drew, that guy's all right. He's doing good. He's got it together. He's got it figured out. I want to be like him. You know, and, and I've had that thought in my mind before. And so when somebody with love asks me, are you okay? I don't think you're okay. I think, I think something's wrong with you. The very first thought I had was shame because I wasn't measuring up to this expectation I set for myself. Because I knew I wasn't okay, but at least maybe I could fake you into thinking I was okay. Right? But I had to realize, first of all, I wasn't spending time with the Lord like I needed to be. You're like, oh, you're a pastor of a church. That's all you do. No, it ain't. And it's easy to allow preparing for a sermon to replace spending time in his word. I wasn't resting in him and what he's done for me because I felt like everything was up to me to get done. If I didn't do it, it wouldn't happen, right? I wasn't embracing restrictions. I wasn't accepting the responsibilities that, I, that he had put on me Instead, I was accepting responsibilities that I was putting on me and partly due to my own shortcomings but also due to my surrounding circumstances I wasn't investing in relationships like I needed to be. Social distancing, I hate that phrase. I don't even want to hear that crap again. You can call it physical distancing if you want to. If that's what you have to do. But don't call it social distancing. I'm tired of that. more deadly than any disease out there. Now, I hope you understand, I'm not talking about physical space. I'm talking about relationships. But I wasn't okay. And you may not be either. There's nothing to be ashamed of, though. There's nothing to beat yourself up over. You're a human being. And you're not perfect. You don't have to be, because he was for you in your place. So how are you doing? Like, really? How are you doing? Deep inside your soul. Not any of that blessed, highly favored, mumbo-jumbo, super spirituality. 
it's a truth but I, if I'm being honest with you I don't often feel that way You know, I kind of compare myself this last year and a healthy soul versus an unhealthy soul to these two ponds at my mom's house. If she watches this later, she'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I grew up with creeks and ponds, okay? We don't have lakes. We don't have rivers where I'm from. We got creeks and ponds. The old timers would call them cow tanks. That's where the cows go and bathe and drink water. And by bathe, I just mean water around in mud and, and, and other stuff. In our front yard, we've got this really large pond. It's really just a hole in the ground, though. It's a levee. And, and if it rains a lot, it'll overflow out the sides of the levee, so much so that we actually have chicken wire. Anybody know what chicken wire is? I'm talking country right now, y'all. Some of y'all are like, I thought, I thought Drew was from the city country boy through and through so we put chicken wire around the edge of the levee so when it overflows the fish would stay in the pond right and when it gets real dry it, it dries up and it smell awful you know why it smell bad because those fish was dying and, and however the weather was that's how the pond was right lots of rain lots of water no rain, no water. 100% dependent upon everything happening around it. In our backyard, and back in the pastures, go back a good way, there's this much smaller body of water back there. Probably an eighth of the size of the pond up front. But the funny thing about this, this pond is that it was always full. Always. And it actually never really even overflowed. And the reason why it didn't overflow is because it flowed into a creek. And, and so when there was a lot of rain, the water might rise ever so slightly, but the majority of the water would flow into that creek and then the creek would, the creek would rise. That's a fun saying. The creek would rise, but, but this pond would stay relatively level. And then the, when there was no rain, the, the water level might decrease a little bit, but it would still remain full enough to flow into the creek that was back behind it. And the reason why, and some of you who know things about this, you understand why, that there was a big difference. There was one pond that was a hole in the ground. And many of us are living our lives like that. 100% controlled by the circumstances that we can't control. And when it's, when it's raining, we get full. When it's dry, we get empty. And we allow the things around us to control the things within us. But then there's the other pond. It was spring-fed. And what that means, if you don't know, is basically deep below the surface. You couldn't see it. You, 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 you would never even know it was there unless you observed it for a long period of time. And there's something to be said for consistency over intensity. I know a lot of, a lot of Christians, a lot of people who... You know, for, for a little while, they'll be super intense for the Lord, but give them a trial, give them a struggle, and they'll crash and burn just like that. And then there's these men and women of God who never make a big fuss, but they're just consistent with their lives. And the reason why they're consistent is because there's something deep within them that you can't see. But if you watch them long enough, you will see its effect in their life. 
If you watch them go through a dry season and everything around them dries up, you will see them not dry up. You will see them in the middle of a flood be able to take what they have and to flow it out to other people and to give even when other people can't afford to give because they're nothing but a hole in the ground. But you and I are not called to be holes in the ground. What did Jesus say? He said, come to me and I'll give you rivers of living water that'll bubble up from within. I'm, no, I'm kind of misquoting it, but it's something along that, like those lines. I'll just be real with you. I have lived too much of my life being a hole in the ground. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. But am I, am I blessing anybody else? Am I, am I allowing what I can't control to control me? And I, I want to be that, I want to be that spring though. Something deep within. Yeah, you can't see it. Not on an everyday basis. But you watch me long enough. You watch me go through the junk. You watch me go through trials. You watch me deal with hardships and heartaches. And you'll see a consistency. Not because of this, but because of what's inside. Deep below the surface. So one more time. How are you doing?